I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be here and to be asked to be a speaker on this great occasion at this wonderful meeting. It's an awesome privilege to be able to present the Word of God, whether to one or many. And we are blessed to be able to have the Word of God and to be able to do our best to present it to others. John 4 verse 1 says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, which many say that was around noon. When Jesus walked on that day, as described in John 4, he and his entourage arrived at a very familiar landmark. Jesus was tired. Did we ever see him as his humanity? Tired, hungry, thirsty, all of the things that we experience, he did as well. Weary from his journey, he sent his disciples to buy something to eat and sat down to rest beside the well. He was alone. Now, why do you think he was alone? I don't know. Sometimes, don't we just want to send everybody to town so we can have a few minutes of quiet and peace? And I don't know that that was it, but that's what occurs to me. But John, by inspiration, tells us the location of the well. Jesus was near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Where Jesus was resting on that day has an amazing history. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And after Jacob had his reconciliation meeting with his brother Esau, Genesis 33:18 says, Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before the city, and he bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Sechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there. Well, somewhere in time, Jacob had a well dug on the property, a deep shaft carved in over 100 feet of earth and rock, which was a source of water where anyone could come and drink, providing you had a vessel and the means to get that water from where it was at the bottom of the very deep shaft. Genesis 48, verse 21. When Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, was about to die, he gave this property to his son Joseph. It says, then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorites. It was Joseph's desire to be buried on the property that his father Jacob had given him. But Joseph did not live long enough to be able to die in the promised land. He died long before in the land of Egypt, before Israel was delivered from bondage. But when Israel left Egypt after the tenth plague, remember they plundered the, the, the treasures of Egypt, but they also took with them the mummified body of Joseph. Because Exodus 13, 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. 
And so part of what they carried all of those years was a body, a mummy. He was embalmed in Egypt. Look it up. Now, Joseph, who had lived the vast majority of his years in bondage, was finally freed from the land of Egypt when Israel was delivered. You see, the presumption is that when Joseph went with them, he too entered the promised land, even though in that form. And Genesis, uh, Joshua 24, verse 32, the bones of Joseph that the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamar, the father of she the Shechem. And in the time of Jesus, this plot of ground was used for raising grain, as was all the tillable ground in the area. So here in John 4, as we're following the day in the life of Jesus, we have a field, we have a tomb, we have a well. The land Jacob bought that was given to Joseph, where a well had been dug, where Joseph was buried, where grain had been planted and was growing, is where Jesus was resting. Now we could just spend all day on all that, couldn't we? But Jesus was on another mission. But let's look at the exchanges of Jesus with others on that day. I want us to notice that Jesus, the master teacher, used common things to illustrate uncommon truths. He used the simple to illustrate the sublime. He used what was easy to understand to teach lessons of greater difficulty. He did so not because his intellect was inferior. Can you imagine saying Jesus' intellect just wasn't enough to have a vast vocabulary? Can we imagine doing that really, the word? Neither did he teach the way he taught because the intelligence of his audience was inferior. Understand, God has made us with an intellect that is amazing from the beginning of time. And I know we vary some, but the fact is we are amazing in our ability to comprehend and understand things. I think Jesus taught the way he taught because it's a proven way for anyone to understand and learn new concepts. Alfred and Griffin, in unleashing the power of examples, say, generally speaking, students learn through explanation, example, and experience. Let's think about that. Then they say, unfortunately, teachers sometimes rely too much on explaining the knowledge, lingo, and methodologies of their discipline, all of which can sound like a foreign language to their students. Now, those of us who are privileged to teach and preach, if what we present sounds like a foreign language to our students, and it's not a foreign language, then we're not really teaching anything. We're just making noise. And someone who speaks in a tongue that cannot be understood has to have a translator because they have to be still. So if someone says, I'm going to show you every large word in the dictionary, and I don't think you're smart enough to understand it, that's a waste of everybody's time. And it certainly doesn't glorify God. Illustrations and examples are powerful ways to broaden and deepen student learning. The quote continues, one of the challenges facing teachers is selecting the most effective examples and knowing when and how and best to use them. So let's look at the teaching of Jesus in John 4. He used the subject of water to begin the discussion that led to lessons about eternal life, worship, and moral living. 
He used the subject of food that the apostles brought from town to begin the discussion that led to lessons about true nourishment and of always doing the will of God. And he used the subject of the field around them to talk about the preciousness of every soul and the urgency of doing what we can to help all the saved. If you recall, the woman that Jesus talked to went back to town, she left her water pot, she went back to town to gather up the townspeople to come to see Jesus. And it was during this process that Jesus said to his closest followers, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest, John 4, 35? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white to harvest. Of course, when someone plants, a lot of times they sit and wait. Such was the case of planting grain. You plant and you wait and you pray for rain and the lack of insects and then you hope for a time of harvest. Jesus is looking at the field, I believe, where they were. In that field, the grain was beginning its growth, but it was still four months until there would be anything to harvest. But something else had happened that day. The woman went to town. She told the men, come with me, and they did, and they are coming to where Jesus was. And so, Kaufman comments, the movement of the multitude toward Jesus across the plain that separated between the well and the city deeply touched the Savior's heart. The prevailing color of all clothing in those days was white, dyes being so expensive that only the rich used them, and the Lord's reference to the white harvest fields had a reference to the field of people dressed in the white garments of the poor, moving toward the Lord under the glare of the sun at noon. Jesus' disciples were only able to see things of the earth. Jesus saw valuable souls and an amazing spiritual lesson. Poor souls walking across a field to see Jesus. I want to talk about some people who will make a sacrifice to see Jesus. One in particular. In November, I was privileged to go to Kenya and meet a bunch of individuals there. Uh, the several hundred members of my Facebook group were given invitations to meet me at a room I rented in Nairobi. Other brethren helped with all the organization of this. So the day came and I had simply rented the room, asked somebody else to organize it so people would know who to call and language they could understand. And basically the invitation said, uh, I'm going to be at a certain place at a certain time these days. And they were members of my Facebook group, so they'd seen my video sermons. And the basic invitation said, y'all come. So let's fly to Africa. Let's rent a room. Uh, let's say y'all come. What's going to happen? I have no idea before I got there. But I had a lot of messages back and forth. And so I met interesting individuals. One was a man named Elijah. He responded to the invitation. He had been a member of the Facebook group over a year. Um, he lived about two hours away from where my rented room was. He did not come alone. He came with two people who were not members of my group. His profession was that he was an assistant pastor of a denominational church. He came with another assistant pastor and with his, with his boss, the head pastor of this denomination. And when 
all of these people came together. They were scheduled over several days. So we'd have a group of, of 10 to 20 individuals, and they might be multi-cup Church of Christ. They might be Catholic. They might be various denominations. It was just an amazing mixture, and Elijah was part of that. To those who were multi-cup Church of Christ, we'd say, we, we have something to study with you about the Lord's Supper. To those who were of the denominations, all of the others, we say, we have things to study with you. And we talked about salvation and about the Lord's church. And that was, that was what the studies were. Not complex, pretty simple. You start with Jesus promised to build a church. What does that church look like? How do we get into it? What, what does it look like in the scripture? And so after a couple of days of these studies, because Elijah and the two that came with him went home, and the next day they came back, which they were invited to do, anyone was. And they sat there again. And we kind of went through the same things again. And at the end of the day, Elijah said, can I, can I read a verse? He's like, sure. Because we let them ask questions, anything they wanted to ask. Now, questions from a group that diverse are just so fascinating. The questions you get when you have two apostles in the room are very different than the questions you get when we're just out and amongst ourselves in gospel meetings. It's a very different experience. Elijah wanted to read a verse. He said, I want to read this verse, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. It says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And then he said, in English, I've come to the conclusion that I need to be baptized to have my sins forgiven to be a member of the Church of Christ. And he said that with his fellow assistant pastor right there, and with his boss, the head pastor, right there. And then he said, and I realize when I do that, I will lose my job. So what did we do? We went to the place where I was staying, reserved part of the pool, got some clothes for Elijah, and two of the brothers from Nairobi baptized him immediately. Yes, he was baptized. Yes, he was thrilled. Yes, he lost his job immediately. But that was a price he was willing to pay because he knew that he was not a member of the church that Jesus had said, I will build in Matthew 16 and 18 that's identified as the church of Christ in Romans 16 and 16. He left his place of baptism rejoicing greatly he came back to town the very next Lord's Day because a new congregation was about to meet of people that lived in the Nairobi area. And he came to town and he got to set through his first worship service of singing, teaching, contribution, prayer, and observing the Lord's Supper according to the scriptures. And then he said, can you come see me in my village? So we went. And he was also a part-time taxi motorcycle driver he said, I'll get my work fellows together. So we went to this restaurant and he had 15 to 20 people gathered there. And he said, you've got 45 minutes. Well, so they got to hear about 
Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It starts with the scriptures and it ends with what we're supposed to do about them. And it, the 45 minutes was all they had because they had to get back to work. The end of the 45 minutes came and it's like, well, okay guys, that's it. And they said, can we ask some questions? It's like, it's up to you. And an hour and a half later, they said, that's, we can't do any more because Elijah had said, I want you to come to my room where my, I live with my family because I've asked my neighbors to come and gather so we can study as well. At this point, Elijah has a lot of interest among his fellow workers and among his neighbors. He's not yet baptized anyone else, but we are beginning to study and he will, I trust. So whenever we look around and we lift our eyes, we don't have to go all over the world for precious souls. They may be in our own home. They may be next door in our neighborhood. First Corinthians chapter three, verse nine, Paul says to Corinth, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. So when I go anywhere in the world, I always say to those I'm speaking to, I'm here because good folks at home work hard. They contribute liberally, and it allows individuals to go preaching at home and abroad. And that is the pattern that needs to be learned here. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for all that you do, because anyone who's privileged to go anywhere preaching, whether it's the next town or around the world, they can only do so because of everyone that is a member of the Lord's Church that contributes to those causes. We are God's field, which means one day somebody lifted up their eyes and they saw us. They saw us coming across that field, poor in spirit, steeped in sin, and they loved us, us enough to say, can we talk about Jesus? And that may have been our parents. It may have been a friend, no matter who it was. Isn't it amazing that somebody took the time to say that we were worthwhile, as Jesus did when he died upon the cross for all of our sin? Let us lift up our eyes and see the opportunities and love those opportunities. We can do this. And we can have a great swell of presenting Jesus to the world in our neighborhoods and around the world. May the Lord bless us in that cause. There's one here tonight who's not yet a member of the Lord's Church. It is the greatest institution in the world because it does belong to the Lord. It has been planned from the foundation of time. And we are privileged to belong to it when we meet the terms of admission in faith and repentance, confession and baptism, for the remission of our sins. There's one here tonight who is a member of the Lord's Church but has sinned publicly and wants the prayers of those assembled. We'd love to assist you. On that day in November, I saw a man named Elijah who a few minutes before identified as an assistant pastor of a denominational church. And he was baptized. And now he says, I am a Christian. I am a member of the Church of Christ. That is who we are. That's who we all need to be and must be because that is what the Lord expects of us. If there's anyone to obey the gospel, don't put it off. Come forward while we stand, while we sing.